0: Today, so if you would please welcome our friend who's going to come and share his heart, Dwayne Polk.
1: Good morning, Woodland Hills. Morning. Now I know the first time y'all are saying is like, "This ain't Greg." <laughs> On the bulletin it says Greg. <laughs> I stole him. Now. Actually, um, we're going to take some time to pray for my man, our pastor, because he is very ill. Yes, he had a really bad cough. I remember seeing him on Thursday, and he looked like death warmed over twice. Like, he is really bad off. So I told him, you know, we as a people, we will make sure to pray for you and lift you up in prayer. So even though it's an unfortunate situation, I'm glad to be here with my brothers and sisters. I'm glad to just be a part of what God is doing here. Um, Even though this is kind of a short notice thing, this message has been kind of percolating with me uh, for some time. So I think this is going to be really good. So what we want to do is I want to pray and I want to pray for Greg and then pray for the message and then just kind of get into it. Okay, so let's pray. Father, we come and we just want to just thank you for, first of all, just your beauty beyond the beauty that you created for this day and this beautiful day. Um, as a body, as a people, we would like to come together in prayer for our pastor, um, Greg Boyd. Um, We pray that you would just put your healing presence upon him, that you would just let whatever needs to happen naturally happen, but you do the supernatural on top of it. Father, he has blessed many people with his words and his prayer. So as one body, we come together to lift him up with our words and our prayer. And we pray that during this time you would give him insight, that you would give him wisdom, but also that you would just share your unconditional, unimaginable love on him. Um, and as for this word, Lord, I pray that as this word goes forth that um, every vestige of me would be decreased, Lord. That you would just speak your words. Your words to have authority, mine do not. Your knowledge has authority, mine does not. We are in your presence from your worship. I pray that you would just open our ears and open our minds to what you have to say. We want to change to be more like who you've called us to be. We thank you for that call. And we just pray that this word would move us towards that. And as a result of this word, that none of us in this room will ever be the same. And we thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Greg will be finishing up the Animate series next week. And I've been liking the Animate series, talking about communing with God and really recognizing the presence of God in all things and doing things to make that as real to us as possible. I think there's something that's asked next when you think about the presence of God. You're more aware of God's working. And so it's like, well, what does God really want to do in the world? And what is God's will? Sometimes that's a real hard question for a lot of people. So I figured that I would... um, talk a little bit about God's kingdom and what he has sought to do in the world through his people. And so I wanted to title this, What God Really Wants, and in parentheses, it ain't really new. It ain't nothing new. A lot of people are like, oh, this new revelation here, this new revelation? You'd be surprised. God will say the same thing a lot. So what God really wants, it ain't nothing new. There is nothing new under the sun. I bet a lot of y'all have heard that before, right? It's from Ecclesiastes, one of my favorite books in the Bible. Some people think it's depressing, but I love it. And um, basically what I think that term means, there is nothing new under the sun, is that everything that has been, has, has, everything that is being done has pretty much already been done. It's very interesting how you can see people and we'll have these new discoveries and then we'll find out through archaeology or history that what we thought we discovered, we actually rediscovered. That people had already been living in that reality before. And we see this with different fads and everything like that. I'm a child of the 80s and so I was raised, you know, in hip-hop in the 80s and so they had this dance called the Kid and Play. Some of y'all might remember that. Hola, oh. Anyway. I remember one time, I'm trying to learn this new dance and everybody was trying to learn it. And then my grandmother, um, her name is Mama Georgia, got I rest her soul. She was um, walking in and she saw me doing this and she said, boy, you're doing the mashed potato. <laughs> I was like, the mashed who? <laughs> she said, I'm like, this is the kid in play. It just came out, Ooh. She said, boy, we've been, do- I was- that was, that, was- they- that dance was out when I was young. I'm like, really? And then she started doing it, and I was like, you're doing a kid And from that conversation, we had a long talk about all kinds of different things that went out of style and came back into style, and a lot of people think they're new. Do you remember when bell bottoms came back into style? You know, little flare jeans and all that stuff. I mean, all of these different cycles, even big glasses, everything just seems to kind of come back. And what's interesting is, not only does this cyclical thing happen with fads, it's kind of interesting, there is this um, song, and it's by the Talking Heads from the 80s, I forget what it's called, but it has this line, same as it ever was, same as it ever was. You see, I'm an 80s kid, right? <laughs> but really, some things really are the same as they ever were. Bell bonds were the same as they ever were, the dance was the same as it ever was. And what's interesting is when we look at human sin, And when we look at the expressions of human sin, we also see that it is the same as it ever was, and there's nothing new under the sun. We have had three world wars. We have had tons of countries that try to defend themselves against other countries, and we've had empire rises and empires fall, and nations going against nations, and all kinds of interpersonal conflict. And we see the same things over and over again, the same excuses for violence, the same excuses for the types of things that happen. And this type of cycle is very, very entrenched where you really, it does seem like we're going through the same cycle of sin and the same cycle of greed and the same cycle of pain. But just like the fads kind of come and go, And just like the human sin that expresses itself in different ways seems to come and go. If we look, I believe that we will see that what God has said to his people about how we are to respond to these things also is nothing new. And it remains the same as well. I felt like what I wanted to do is I I wanted to look at something current and see, okay, is there something entrenched in the past, especially biblically, that I can see this trend as far as there's nothing new under the sun? And so I thought about the current housing crisis, the current economic crisis, and I thought about literally millions of people that are losing homes, hundreds of thousands of people that are losing jobs, you know, right now, around this time, this is the highest amount of people that we've had actually trying to file for unemployment that we've ever had. Lots of depression. Lots of fear. Lots of heartache. And I think about, I get one picture in particular. I remember this show and this guy was talking and basically what happened is this young couple out of college, you know, they're idealistic, finna take on the world and everything so they get married and they decide, you know what, we got out of college, let's get our own house. And so even though you know their credit was a little bit whatever, they tried to put things together and said, well, if we cut corners here and do this, then I think we can make it happen. Tried a lot of different um, loan agencies, got with a, a certain loan agency, and they were like, oh, well, we can make it work and everything, and so they realized their dream and they get into this house and they are so happy. You know, both of them working and like, hey, we got this. But then all of a sudden, the wife gets sick. The wife gets really sick and then she can't work anymore. And so as the money stops coming in, as the medical bills tend to mount, marital stresses form, lots of different situations form. And when this guy is talking, he, he's starting to cry and he's just like, you know, I could never, I never believed that this kind of thing was happening to, the, to me, to us. They were, they were in the process of about to lose their house. And all he could say was, you know what, all of the compassion, all of the niceness that we received when we were trying to get this thing, somehow all of that stuff kind of went away and there was nobody that really seemed to want to help us. And I could really see that guy's pain and I could, I could understand that there are lots of people. I wish that was an isolated case, but I think I've seen enough people even in my own family to know that this is a widespread issue where people have wanted to realize their dreams but somehow gotten caught up in a system that they didn't understand. And because of that, they are losing what they have. Now, I would like to say that this kind of thing, when we talk about, you know, um, things that aren't necessarily above board and predatory lending and all that stuff, I really wish I could say that that just happened now, like it's only recent. But you know what? It ain't nothing new. There is a time where um, there is this prophet, his name is Micah. And I would say that Micah was the equivalent to a country boy, okay? Um, He was not of a priestly rank. He wasn't in one of these cosmopolitan areas. He was um, in one of those what we call podunk towns, but the interesting thing about his life in the podunk town is I believe that he was with people that were struggling. He was with people that basically tried to make a living as they could and he saw how in his time how his people were oppressed. See at that time, and this is the same time actually that Isaiah was preaching, there was a nation called Assyria and they were coming to a power. And During times of war, there's lots of money to be made and so there were lots of wealthy landowners that what they would do is they would somehow get with the judges and they would, you know, kind of maybe show them a little cash and then make prescriptions on smaller landowners so they would not be able to meet their obligations so that they would lose what they had. And so that they could get all of this wealth from themselves. And this was so widespread that a lot of people were losing land, a lot of people were becoming homeless, and a lot of people were losing their lives. And what was interesting is that sometimes the um, people of God in in, in Judah and um, Israel, they would actually try to pervert God's covenant in order to do these things. And so even though Micah wasn't you know, really educated and Micah wasn't just of this high priestly class, I believe there was something within him as he looked around his community and it said, you know, something ain't right. Something, something's just not right here. When I look at how some people are living and other people are dying, I'm, I don't feel like this is right. And that affirmed his call to the point where he becomes a prophet of God and he writes. And that's why we have the book Micah here. And it's very interesting because when Micah writes, you can tell that he has a love for God and a love for his people. He, he, he talks to his people very forcefully about what he thinks is wrong in the society and what needs to be corrected. But even when he kind of brings these doom sayings, he always kind of rounds out with a hope because he knows that God has called them to be a certain type of people and that God just wants to move them where they need to be. So in Micah 6 it really is kind of a kind of a courtroom scene. And God's bringing the case. God's bringing the case against his people and he's asking, you know, the world to bear witness to why he is chastising his people. And so then we I want to go to the part where in, it's Micah 6 6 through 8. Micah 6 6 through 8. And At this point he's trying to address the question of the person that might want to speak back against this charge. And it reads, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with the calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And I want to just stop there for a second. All of these different things are very precious things at this time. A calf, a year old, talking about burnt offerings. These are things that God actually prescribed for people to do to demonstrate their obedience and love for him. And it even goes to a, a, a kind of a, a hyperbole extent here because it says thousands of rams and thousands of rivers of oil, which nobody in that time period would have been able to afford, but they were just, he was just trying to make a point. Would God be pleased with all of these outward things that you try to do to show him that you love him? And the implicit answer is no. Let's go forward. He has shown all you people what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, let's so underline that, to act justly, and to love mercy, underline that, and to walk humbly with your God, humbly. <laughs> I'm working on it, I'm working on it. <laughs> but I really wanna focus on the acting justly and the loving mercy, okay? Now, the Hebrew word that is talked about in this acting justly is mishpat. And it refers to justice or jurisprudence or a way of adjudicating where we are promoting equality, where we're making things right, having balanced scales. And it's usually linked in the Bible with the term righteousness. Usually when you see justice, you see righteousness and righteousness, you see justice. And so this, in God's type of mishpat, Deals with an equality that usually people can't understand, that really treats people with fairness and love. The second thing, when we talk about loving mercy, is chesed. <laughs> and it's another Hebrew word. And when usually um, we, sang the, we sang the song, um, Lord, you are good and your mercy endures forever. There's also a psalm where it says, your mercy endures forever, your mercy endures forever, or your love endures forever. That word where it's, where it's translated mercy or love, that is hesed. And it means kindness, it means compassion. It means that kind of love that God gives. So if we were to describe a person that lives in Mishpat, a, a, a person that lives in hesed, we would see a person that treats everybody fairly that treats them as individuals and does not try to defraud them, does not try to misuse them for their own gain. And we see a person that loves with a God kind of love that would be compassionate if this person could not meet the demands of justice. That is the kind of person, I believe, that Micah felt could change the tide of what he was seeing in his time. But we have to go back to the context of what Michael was really speaking to. When he talks to the people of God, the main thing that he's trying to say is, look, with all of these injustices and all of these practices of greed and stuff, we are not following the covenant of God. Therefore, we are becoming a people of covenant breakers. Leaders are not leading like they should. People are not holding the responsibility they should. Therefore, we are breaking the covenant. But what specific covenantal aspects have been broken by the action? We see that the action can be oppressive when you take people from their homes and when you leave people without resources, how that's not cool. But what specific covenantal aspects are being broken here? If we go to Leviticus... And we go to Leviticus 19, which I believe that Micah would be familiar with. I believe that we see a list of these kinds of practices. And what's interesting is there truly is nothing new under the sun. Because as we read these, I want you to really think not just of this time period that we're talking about with Micah, but I want you to think about our own time period. I want you to think about certain business practices and certain things that happen to people, certain things that we do to others. And let's see how we match up. Do not steal. Do not lie. (laughs) Do not deceive one another. Do you see any of that going on sometime in our, our time? Do not defraud your neighbors or rod them. Do not hold back the wages of a hired worker overnight. Now, as I look at these things and I look at just my own history, I feel like I have seen these things done and I have done these things myself. Let's go on. Do not curse the deaf or put a stumbling block in front of the blind. But fear your God, I am the Lord. So, if you have a society or a system that somehow denies rights and denies privileges to people that might be challenged with deafness or challenged with blindness, what does that mean? How is that affecting God's covenant? Next thing, and I think this is really important here, do not pervert justice, that word justice, that's mishpat, do not pervert justice, do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. In other words, we're not making idols out of the rich and we're not making idols out of the poor, but we're trying to treat everybody as creation, beloved creations of God, as individuals and groups, as people that deserve healthy lives, as people that deserve acts of love. And I wanna pause here. Now, all these do nots, the do nots are exactly what the leaders in Micah's time were doing. They were lying to their own people, they were cheating their own people and defrauding them over and over and over again. And Micah just had to see this, because he's a country boy, you know? So he he sees these people struggling And I believe in his heart that he had the conviction that God gave him that said, this is not right. When people are losing land and resources and they are not able to feed their children because of the greed of our land, something is not right. And I think that my brothers and sisters, if we look at the situations today, I think that we will truly see that it is the same as it ever was. Because the same type of oppression and the same type of senseless greed happens right now. Right under our noses. Let's continue on. Do not do anything that endangers your neighbor's life. I am the Lord. Anything that takes away from their ability to live the best possible life they can. If you wanna endanger that, don't do that. And the next thing, most important, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But get this, love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Hmm. Has anybody heard that last part, To love your neighbor as yourself? There is nothing new under the sun. Jesus is in his ministry. And in Mark 12, verses 28 through 31, one of the teachers comes to him and say, look, man, you a rabbi. I know you got the facts. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? I want to just get right to the point. So Jesus is like, hey, all right, I got you. The most important one is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. There is no commandment greater than these. Now, when Jesus is quoting, he is quoting directly from Leviticus 19. And I believe that he read and he understood the meaning of Leviticus 19, the spirit of Leviticus 19. And Jesus even goes even further. He makes it plain in his teachings, particularly the teaching of the Good Samaritan, that one's neighbor is not just according to one's people group, one's culture or one's society, but literally any human being that's near you that has need. Any human being that has need of compassion, need of love, which is actually every human being. And this teaching is backed by Paul when he's instructing the church. He even says, he even says something like this, that loving your neighbor as yourself sums up all of the laws. And then we're talking 616 laws here, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing all of those things. Basically, what he's saying is if you take all the time to do this, you will not spend time trying to rob, and you will not spend time trying to defraud your neighbor. Let's go to Romans thirteen nine. The commandments you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not covet and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command love your neighbor as yourself again talking about same as it ever was to me it seems like God has been saying the same thing for some time now he spoke in the time of Micah against oppression and against using of your common man for your own good, then Jesus picks it back up in his time, in his surroundings of oppression. Paul picks it back up telling to to the church. And I'm here to tell you that if God was against it in Micah's time and if God was against it in Jesus' time and Paul's time, then God is against it in our time. It is so easy. It is so easy for us to say that we love others and have this real vague sense of what that means. But if we look at the Bible and we look at where Jesus was coming from, we see that we really do have a a clearer criteria than we even realize. And in this society of hopelessness and despair and loss, we have an environment that gives us every opportunity to do what God has always wanted. And this is the thing. What God has always wanted, and he has always wanted a covenant-keeping people that he could bring his justice and love through. People that have his heart. People that really want to see his kingdom, his will, his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what Micah spoke against. You have defrauded your people. You're shortchanged your brother and your sister, therefore you have broken the covenant. We as a people have broken the covenant. But he spoke with hope because he knew it's like we have broken the covenant, but we are meant to be his covenant keepers. We are the very people of God. And let me tell you something. If you right now are a believer in Christ, you are a part of his covenant And his covenant is to love the neighbor as you love yourself. This is how we show our obedience and our love to Jesus. So what that means is there's certain things that we cannot separate our covenant keeping which God wants. God really does want us to be these covenant keepers that walk in justice and walk in mercy and walk humbly. So there's three things that I feel like we cannot separate from our covenant keeping, being covenant keeping people of God. The first thing is we cannot separate being covenant keepers of God from being concerned about oppression. God is about freeing people from their oppression. And as we see in Micah, through Micah he had compassion upon people that could not do anything about their situation that would not receive a hand from anybody. We see that God wanted to make everybody come up in fullness. And any system that opposed that, God opposed that. So when we, my brothers and sisters, live in this current time and we see various systems in our society that oppress people and marginalize people and all of those kinds of things, we cannot separate our love for God, our covenant keeping with God away from our sensitivity to those things. If I call myself a child of God, but I don't care about any of the way that women are oppressed, any of the way that different different peoples are oppressed, how can I say that I am truly loving my neighbor as myself? We cannot separate the covenant keeping that God wants from a concern about oppression. The second thing, and it's related, we we cannot separate are being covenant-keeping people of God from our concern about justice. One of the things that Micah really grated at was the fact that so much injustice was going on and people would just kinda let it be, let it go and not stand up for it. See, he didn't have all these criterias and all that kinda stuff like that. He wasn't from a big city and he wasn't a priest or anything like that, but he said, you know what, I have a conviction. And the conviction is when I see my brother and my sister destitute, when other people are high off the hog, something is wrong, and I will speak up about it. And that, I believe, is what it means to be the covenant keeper, to keep that kind of heart in you. So even in the situations around you, you become more sensitive to where unjust practices are happening or where injustice or any type of cruelty like that is taking place. God does not want us to languish on our laurels while injustice just flourishes. He expects us to stand up in his might against that. So two things, we cannot separate the covenant keeping from our concern about oppression. We cannot separate it from our concern about justice. And third, we cannot separate the covenant keeping that God really wants from us from our practical acts of mercy from our practical acts of mercy. See, one of the things, I have a problem with this, sometimes you can think about doing something so much that you feel like you're doing something. But guess what? Thinking about trying to feed somebody doesn't feed them. Thinking about trying to help somebody with their lights or help somebody that might need your time, that's different than actually doing it. And so, of course, God takes the scripture and knocks me upside my head, of course. (laughs) And it really is a convicting scripture, but it makes sense, especially for somebody as cerebral as I can be. James 2, James 2, verses 14 through 17. Just really think about this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if people claim to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be fed, do your thing, and does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? Meaning, what good is that faith? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. See, yes, we enjoy the fact that God has called us his own and he calls us his children. And by the spirit of his son, we are united with him. All of that stuff is true. But if we are not walking in obedience to what he wants to do, if we are not stretching ourselves to love our neighbors as ourselves. How can we really claim that we are being covenant keepers? The promises of God are there. The issue is if we don't have the obedience, if we don't—it's like this. You remember how Greg talked about clever disguises, about how Jesus comes in different—we can see Jesus in clever disguises? If we do not do practical acts of mercy, then we are holding those practical acts of mercy from the Lord. Want to bet? Check it out. Scripture, Matthew 25, 40— in as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it to me. When you went to go visit that person in prison, you didn't just do it to him, you did it to me. When that person's lights was going to get shut off and you stood in the gap for them, you didn't just do it to them, you did it to me. That's what Jesus is saying. When that person was about to commit suicide and you gave up your whole day to stay and talk to them, you didn't just do that to them, you did that for me. And this is the thing. I understand that we do not live in a theocracy. America is not a place where it's directly under God's laws. But that's what I'm saying. As covenant people of Jesus, we do not rely on the government to bring God's justice. It is our job. It is our job in Christ's spirit. As we keep the covenant of loving our neighbor as ourselves, we transform our neighborhoods, we transform our cities, and then we transform the whole world. The disciples turned the world upside down because they wanted to keep the covenant. If we do this, it's not like, okay, we can't do this and don't do this. It's a matter of what we get to do, what we're free to do. We are free to be the very hands and feet of God himself, bringing love, bringing peace, bringing joy. If we decide to be people that live in justice and live in mercy, we will see God manifest himself in new ways, and I know that we want revival, right? We, we want God's spirit to just blaze all over this place and transform, well, guess what? There is a condition. A contemporary of Micah was Isaiah. And Isaiah wasn't necessarily like Micah. Isaiah wasn't like a country podunk boy. He was actually more cosmopolitan, actually in the priesthood. And but what's interesting is they had a very similar message. Because they seemed to both see the problems of the day, and they also both saw how people would try to use religious activity or religious things to try to get out of the covenant. For example, In Isaiah 58, he's talking, um, Isaiah is talking about how people are talking about this fast they're doing and bowing their heads and doing this big ornate thing to let God know that they're humbling themselves before him. I'm trying, (laughs) y'all. And God speaks through Isaiah to his people to say something pretty profound since they're talking about fasting. Fasting. And I apply this in my own mind when I think about some of the worship that we do and some of the church things that we do. When we say, hey God, look at what we're doing. This is what, this is what the Lord said through Isaiah. Is, this, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? And he's talk, he said, is this, so talking about the later stuff. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Now as I recall, Jesus was talking in the synagogue one day and he was talking from Isaiah, talking about how he was empowered by the Spirit to what? Set the captives free? Okay, moving on. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. See, because of what Jesus did, flesh and blood doesn't go by color, it doesn't go by creed, it doesn't go by any of those things. If you are a human being, you are my flesh and blood, and I am your flesh and blood. Now, here's the condition because this is what he's saying he's saying, Is this not the kind of fast I've chosen? Because we want revival. We want God to do something. Now look what happens if we choose the fast that God has chosen for us. This is what he promises. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Now I don't know about you, but I want the glory of God to be my rear guard. I think as a body, we want the glory of the Lord to be our rear guard. If we want to be the rear guard, we want God to be the rear guard, then we have to make the decisions to live in justice and live in mercy, to do the kind of fast that God requires. All of the works that we do, great. All of the other things that we do, great. But if we do not have justice and we do not have mercy, what is that? If we do not have practical ways that we express what we do in here, what is that? We have to ask ourselves, and this is the question I've been asking myself pretty deeply. Have we kept covenant with the Lord? We say we love the Lord. I say I love the Lord all the time, but when I look in my life, have I lived justly with all of my brothers and sisters? Do I, do I treat poor people better than I treat rich people because rich people are rich? Seriously, or vice versa? Do I look down on people because they're poor? Do I really try to live equitably and fairly with everything, everybody that I come in contact with? Do we do that? Have we, have I, have we loved mercy with all of our brothers and sisters regardless of what they've done? Unconditional compassion. No matter what state they're in, no matter what fixed that, whatever they've done that you think they shouldn't do those kinds of things. Have we loved mercy more than our own ego? Have we loved loved mercy more than us being right? My brothers and sisters, I speak to you a message of hope because God has called us to be his covenant people. We believe in the Holy One. And so It is just a matter of us taking up the mantle of what God has always been saying. It's the same as it ever was. There is nothing new under the sun. He said it in the Old Testament. He said it in the New Testament. So I pretty much think he wants to do it right now. And he wants to do that through us. As we go forth and you spend time in God's presence today, I want you to ask some questions to yourself that I've been asking myself. The question, one question is this, have I surrendered all of myself to the Lord? Have I made myself completely available to whatever he wants to do with me? Have I given all my time, because time is really important to me, do I want to give my time to his causes? Do I want to give my energy, my finances? Do I make myself completely available so I can be the conduit through which God's justice and mercy comes? There might be some areas, and there are some areas that I do need to surrender the second question, how can I participate with God in bringing His loving mercy to those around me who may need it? And it might not be just going all far somewhere else to another neighborhood. You would be surprised of the people that have need right where you're at. And if you ask the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will bring an opportunity for you to bring His mercy. You'll be, before you know it, you'll pray and say, God, what do you want me to do? And he'll be like, I want you to go maybe give this person to this something. This has happened to me. And so I say, you know what? I'll, I'll be obedient. So I give this person this resource or whatever. I'm like, hey, God was just talking to me about, you know, giving this to you. He's like, brother, thank you so much because we just said that we needed this. I'm like, ooh. But that's how God operates and that's how God wants to operate through his people. That's what Michael wanted, that's what Jesus wanted, that's what Paul wanted, and that's what we should want. There is nothing new under the sun. And just like bell-bottoms ain't new, and just like world wars aren't new, the word of God and his truth is not new. If you want to know what God's will is, you want to know God's purpose for your life, it is to do justice, it is to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this time. I just thank you that you have pulled us together to hear your word. And Father, I pray that you would just empower us with your spirit to ask ourselves these questions deeply and firmly, and that we would not receive any judgment at all in our answers, but that we would just make the move to come closer to what you would have us to be we are all sinners in need of grace and in some in some instances we are all covenant breakers of some type but in your mercy and your grace would you please bring us to the level where we can serve you the way we want to because we want to serve you with all of our heart and all of our soul and we want to love our neighbor as ourselves. we thank you lord amen now, I, I do have an, another announcement right before the ministry team um, talks here. After I wrote this sermon, I found out some interesting information, interesting things that this church is going to do in the fall. and it's going to be opportunities to do directly what we're talking about here. So I'm going to mention these. The first thing is, kind of starting in August, we're going to do something with a food drive. Different food shelters around the Twin Cities area have been running low because of the economy, because of giving. And so people that desperately need food around the Twin Cities aren't getting what they need. And so what our church wants to do is to have a food drive, a massive food drive, to help replenish as many of those local food shelves as we can. Yes, yes. So... As a body, I ask that we be prayerful for that, pray pray for how God can lead you to talk about it or to act upon it, whatever God asks you to do, because this is a very deep opportunity here. The second thing is we are going to have a 10-week adventure series in the fall, like we do, but it's going to talk through specific ways of addressing practical compassion and working against injustice in the church. We're going to be having groups and different discussions on that, so again, pray on how God can use you in that capacity as well. And there's one more thing, and I'm really, really excited about this one. In August for the whole month, in Woodland Hills Church, the gathering area and also some rooms in the children's area are going to be transformed into, get this, a homeless shelter for families during that time who need it. Yes, yes. Praise God. They're going to have some place safe to come and eat and find fellowship and love. And what we need prayer for is we might need volunteers. We will need volunteers, maybe for evening shifts or even overnight shifts. But can you imagine the kingdom impact that this can have? Can you imagine the stability that this could give to people that need it? And so I'm very, very excited about these. And Mary Anderson, who is a care pastor, she will talk to you a lot more about this next week whenever Greg finishes up the um, animate series. But isn't this wonderful? And even though this is going to be in the future, please think about this message and how you can even apply it today. Because even though in the fall we can do this, we can do this stuff right now, right after we walk out of here. We are God's covenant people, and God can empower us to act like such. We can do the justice, we can love the mercy, and we can walk humbly with God. Thank you.
0: Amen. Thank you, Duane. Now we're going to enter back into a time of worship. And the definition of worship is to give worth to. And so I want to give worth to our Father and give him thanks for his goodness. And a part of an act of that is to take an offering. So I'd like for the ushers to come forward and I'd like to pray a blessing over this gift we're about to give. And then we're going to Give him blessing and thanks. Pray with me. Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing here at Woodland Hills, Lord. I thank you that the opportunity, Lord God, the doors that you're opening, Lord God, for this body to have an impact for those in need, for those who need you. We all need you, Lord God. But Father, I'm so thankful that you've called us to be your hands and feet that you choose to do it through your people. I know by, by a wave of your finger, Lord God, you can make all happen. But you choose to do it through us. We're grateful. We're thankful. For in that obedience, Lord God, we're blessed. And so, Lord, we just want to start, Father, by giving of our offering right now, Lord God. We want to give unto you, Lord God, that we can facilitate these things, Lord God, you have called this body to do. The food shelf, the homeless shelter, all these things, Lord God, teaching us what it is to be kingdom people. And not just to learn it from a head knowledge thing, but actually applying it and doing it. So we start with an offering. We give unto you, Lord God. We ask that you multiply it. And that you use it, Lord God, to bring those who are lost, disenfranchised, no hope. Father, that through this body and the offerings that we have to give, we'll give hope. Give blessing in a future through your spirit to those in need of it. So, Father, we gladly give. And we thank you, Lord God, for your mercy and grace. We thank you for sustaining us and keeping us, Lord God. And in turn, we're able to bless others. We honor you with this gift now. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, we just thank you, Lord God, that we were lost and you found us. We took this step and said yes, and our lives have never been the same. Father, I just want to pray a blessing over my brothers and sisters here right now. Lord, as we leave this place and we go to be with families and friends and to enjoy, Lord, the, the work of your hands, enjoying the, the, the warm sunlight and, and the beautiful, cool evenings and, and all the wonderful things that we get to partake of, Lord God, which are created by you. Lord, we just ask, Lord, that you not quickly depart from us, Lord. Stay with us. Speak to us. Guide us. Order our steps, Lord God. That with every encounter, With every opportunity, Father God, that we get to display and reflect your light, your love, your mercy, your grace that we experience for free, Lord, every day. We get to share that with someone and bless them and possibly make their day. I thank you, Lord God, that you have called us to be your hands and feet. And Lord, we just, we desire, Lord God, to do your will. So I end this prayer by saying, Father, let your will be done. Father, let your kingdom come. In this place, in our lives, in our families' lives, in our home, in our workplace, in every place, Father, that we go, may we display Christ who lives in us. Bless my brothers and sisters, Lord God. Keep them safe. Protect them. Tell them that, Father, you delight in them every single day, every moment of every waking day. Let them know it. Let them stand secure in it. Continue to bless them, Father. In your son's precious name, I pray. Amen. We have prayer ministers here that are, I invite them to come forward. If you have any prayer need, anything that you need to get off your heart, be it about family, be it personal, be it work, whatever your situation, I encourage you to come. There's always power. People can lift you up in prayer. I bless you. I send you forth with the peace of God on your heart until we gather together again. May God bless you and keep you. Amen. God bless you.